The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. So our latest episode is one that if you've been following Inland Fishery Ireland news recently, uh, you'll be aware of concerning their digital publication of the 1902 Cork Salmon Flies collection. Myself and Dara wanted to delve into this a, a bit deeper and to find out how the flies were rediscovered like after a, a hundred years or, or more and what the collection exactly is about. So we got to speak to Shane O'Reilly from the IFI, who was involved with bringing the digital book together, and also to Peter Keeley. He's a fly tire from Armagh, and he's a friend of the late Ted Malone, who was central to the Cork collection being recovered. Tom, you're an avid fly tire, um, and look, I hold my hands up here. I just, I'm not one. Don't have the time or patience, I'm afraid, for it. I'm too busy writing or doing other stuff or fishing. Um, But I was just wondering... Like, what was it like for you looking through these historic flies for the first time as a fly tire? Yeah, when I uh, got to have a look at the digital book, I was I was actually amazed. The whole thing was amazing because uh, I've read a lot about uh, fly tying, the history of it in Ireland, and to see some of these patterns there and to see the way they were actually dressed. And I bring it up, like, uh, when we talked to the guys, for example, a blue jay figure, a uh, blue jay feather, as a hackle, a body hackle feather, which I would never even attempt to try. And then also like the old fly tires, the whole thing was just amazing. And like for it to be available as a free digital book, I just think it's it's really very it's just fantastic. Yeah, and, and fair play to everyone involved in it. Like it was just just a great project to, and it took so long, like as you'll hear from Peter, like when he talks about Ted Malone and the persistence to make it happen. And then, you know, and then even since then, it's, it's been probably nearly 10 years since it was actually first discovered to actually being able to bring it to, to um, the public. So, like, I think fair play to everyone for doing it. It's a real window into history, isn't it, for Irish fighters? Really, it really is to look back at it. And, like, as you say, like, the time that it must have taken, like, is, you know, to, to photograph each fly individually and just collate all that information together. Uh, yeah, it has to have been time consuming. Well, it was time consuming. But, um, yeah, I mean, like the 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 ends justifies the means, and you know what's there to, what's there to be looked at on the book is just fantastic. Hundred percent. Well, look, let's find out more about the flies and their story. Um, first, from Shane O'Reilly from Inland Fisheries Ireland. These flies are a, a set of flies that were tied for an exposition back in 1902 down in Cork, and someone had the very bright idea back then, a great idea really, of of going around the country and you know getting flies. Uh, from each of the fishery districts, representative flies, you know, the, the, the best flies, I suppose, for the districts, getting local fly tires to tie them up and then to present them at this exposition. 
So luckily, this uh, collection has survived over the years. Um, uh, I don't know where it's been in between now and, and then, but I, I, I remember about 10 years ago, not long after I joined Fisheries, there was a great uh, sort of happiness that this collection had been found again. And I think Ted Malone, the famous Irish fly tire, was instrumental in that. I think it had been missing for years, and I don't know. I was too too green in fisheries to be asking questions like that. But anyway, it arrived along and there was a great, you know, celebration about it. And then I think at the time we were involved in fisheries, we were moving office from Swords to City West and that took a lot of resources and so on and so forth. And nothing happened with the collection for a while. And then my CEO came to me a, a few years ago and he said, listen, Shane, I got a bit of a problem. I'm looking for help with it, you know, and that's always a kind of, oh, no, what's that going to be? You know, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And I says, well, OK, I'll see what I can do. What is it? And he says, this fly collection, I'll people on, on to me and they're they're looking to have it uh, published in some way. Can you just do something with it? And can you can you get it out there for me? So uh, I said, sure. My background is actually in in design and, and layout and stuff. That's what I did before I joined Fisheries. So I took the project on and we had photographs done previous to me getting involved. We had photographs taken of the flies and we had the patterns drawn up by a, a few of the, the, the fly tires around the country, Peter Keeley, Peter Dunn and Ted himself. So I had those lists of patterns. And over the last couple of years, I've been putting it together with the help of Peter Keeley and to the to the stage of getting it published in digital format. And it looks absolutely beautiful in terms of the pictures. And it just, it just gives you a real sense. Like, we, like let's not forget, like it's 1902, so 100, well, 120 years yeah. um, <clears throat> around when it was done. Where, in terms of the flies, where, was there many intact or was there many kind of lost over time? Or? Uh, there, there, there seems to be, unfortunately, the ones and a lot of people would have been interested in them for the Boyne area and the Dundalk area are missing. And I have no idea where they are. And I suppose in, in 120 years, they could have gone missing 60 years ago or 80 years ago. There's no one around to ask. But the rest of the country, they're all there. And the vast majority are in, are in pristine condition, I would say. There's a couple of them that have um, that have mites have got at them, but a very few, very few of them. The majority of them are in great condition. And it looks even like a couple of them might have been fished. There's a few of them from the west of Ireland, I noted, had rusty hooks, which might have shown that they were fished at some time, you know, but the majority of them haven't. They're all in really good condition. Just when you were saying there, because I read in the foreword that Ted was looking for these and that they were found. Where were they? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So as I was saying, I was only relatively new into fisheries at the time. I think that they might have been in the possession of someone who worked for fisheries for a long time ago. And whether, I, I don't know, whether they had been taken to show somewhere and they just had never been brought back and there was a little bit of uh, sleuthing to be done as to where they were. So, yeah, look, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't know at the right. time. I was just aware of it. And uh, I was I was aware of the kind of celebration that oh yeah we have these now so yeah. And on that Shane actually there was you were saying there was a lot of similarities was there in terms of patterns and names you know. Yeah yeah like there's a lot of there's a lot of flies that are repeated in the in the in the in the publication for instance as I, I I can't remember there's almost forty different types of fiery brown which you know is one of the most famous Irish flies 
But if you look at the patterns, you know, the fiery brown, that the famous one that might have been tied by Rogan from Bally Shannon, but you look at them tied in other areas of the country and they'd all look slightly different. So they were all taking different slants and it could be to reflect, you know, the difference between a peaty river and a clear river or, or whatever they thought would work in the rivers close to them. But all of the flies, there's, there's just slight variations between even ones that are have the same name, which I found very interesting. And, uh, you know, listening to Tom talk about it, they're like, some of those flies... The materials themselves now to tie those flies, well, you can't get some of them now because the, the birds you're, you're either, I wouldn't say maybe not extinct, but they're certainly endangered. So some of those flies, the materials in them will cost 100 euros just to get the few feathers to tie those flies. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Where are the flies now? Where are they being held? So the, the flies are kept in a safe. Uh, they're, they're in a, a box uh, uh, that's got a lot of mothballs in it, a dark box with a lot of mothballs in a safe in IFI. And every time that I bring it out, we have an open plan office and the stink of the camphor from these mothballs permeates throughout the office and everyone goes, ah, he's got the flies out again. He's got the flies out again, but they're in there now. We're looking maybe to see if we can partner with some, uh, maybe uh, museums, maybe it's local museums or something like that to be able to, you know, do some sort of temporary exhibition of, of some of the flies to see if we can do something like that. We've asked for suggestions uh, like that to come in from anglers. So we're open to that. They're, you know, we don't want to, they're not the sort of thing that you can take out of the box and have a hundred people handle them, you know, because they'll degrade. You can't leave them in bright light for any length of time. So it has to be in the right conditions. But if we could find somewhere like a museum or something like that, that's willing to partner with us and has to get the expertise to, to house them, then we'd be very open to doing that. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Like for people, for anglers to be yeah. able to, to to actually see them, like, you know, yeah, um, it would yeah. be brilliant. And Shane, just in terms of where can people, so it's a digital book. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. can people access it online, download it or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can access it via our website. Um, it, it's there on our website. We have angling reports. If, they, if you cycle back through the angling reports, there is a there is a link to it, but it's a very long link. So it will be hard for me to call that out. But if you if you if you search for it, it will be on our website. And, you know, I've had a lot of requests in. If you know, the, the American flight sign market is, is, is very big. There's a lot of people there that are very interested in this. So we've had a lot of requests in for uh, a printed publication for it that's something we'll explore and um, you know there's there's obviously costs involved and all and all in that but uh, it's something that i think uh, would lend itself very well to the collection you know and if it's something we could do uh, i think i'll be looking into it down the line yeah because I, I think it's a kind of nearly like a coffee table book you'd kind yeah. of imagine that yeah. isn't yeah. it like yeah well yeah a lot of a lot of guys are looking for uh you know these you know deluxe editions and yeah. all of that sort of stuff hardback and all of that and they you know they're, they're looking to pay a lot of money for it. So it's, it, it's down to seeing what we can, what we can work with. And that's the other thing as well is it's the massive international interest from yeah, the flight time community, isn't it? It's not just oh, Irish flight times. Yeah, so we, I've had queries in a lot of, a lot of people in the States in the UK and Canada, Norway, you know, the Baltics are big into the salmon flies. So yeah, lots of people getting back to me, uh, you know, just with queries and saying, you know, no, it's great to see this. And then it's fabulous to have the resource, you know, and, and, you know, we made a decision to, to put it out there for free as a digital copy, because once you go down the printed route, it kind of becomes a little bit exclusive because it's going to cost, 40 or 50 per quid for someone to buy one of these things whereas if you put it out initially as a digital resource everybody has access to it and I, I think that's you know that's a more inclusive way of sharing it yeah i have to say i think that i think actually putting out free digitally is really a brilliant idea i think it's a great idea you know to have 
something like that that we can all have a, a look at because it's something that's and like you've touched on it there it's something it's part of our fishing culture so it's there it's there available for for everybody i think well done well done on that um, my view and ifi are custodians of this we're, we're just lucky to have it you know it could have been someone else happened to be us so you know we're looking after it for the irish and the angling public and just let, you know get it out there get as many people to look at it and hopefully it'll inspire you know people to create new flies or you know will inspire interest in fly tying again you know and the more that we can do to kind of you know generate publicity about what we do and that sort of thing i think the better well, Shane, congrats to yourself and, and the others involved in it. Um, it's a very worthwhile project and, um, you know, the fruits of the labour there for everyone to see. So do highly recommend, check it out. Um, and from a historical, cultural, you know, everything perspective, it's just brilliant to have for, for the future as well. So uh, congrats again and, and thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, super. Thanks very much, Dara and Tom. And another person central to this project was Peter Keeley, a fly tire and fly angler from Armagh, who was also great friends with Ted Malone and was with him in the IFI offices in Dublin when the collection was revealed to them for the very first time. Through Ted Malone in 2007, that he was informed that this collection of flies existed. And that was the first knowledge that I had that this collection existed. So Ted did what Ted did. Um, he was the head of social services for Northern Ireland here up until his retirement, probably 35, 40 years ago now. And he was quite accustomed to writing letters and he wrote lots of letters. And his, his handwriting, you know, I have a lot of stuff here that he's written were spectacular. So he started off writing letters um, to Inland Fisheries and the letters then went further um, as high as the Irish government to locate these flies and over sort of a two-year correspondence between himself, um, Inland Fisheries and the Secretary General of the Irish government, the collection then were returned in 2009 to Inland Fisheries. So this was kind of like 2007 when the kind of letter yeah. writing started. Yep. So, uh, so Ted... Became, was he aware for a long time that the, these flies were still in existence or how did he become aware of it? Like? I think it was only in that sort of 2006, 2007 period that he was told that these flies existed and nobody really knew where they were. So he sort of he took it on himself at that stage to find out where they were. And he did. Like a dog with a bone kind of just. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was because... You know, even back in 2006, 2007, he was totally out of it with email, text messages, things like that. He just wrote letters. And I think with the style of writing letters, he always got some response. And if he didn't get a response, he wrote another letter. So, yeah, and if he didn't write, he'd write three letters, that kind of way. Like. Just, just kept going and kept going. And... Uh, he used to go to fish at Curriva for the May fly for the month of May. And he'd been speaking to, it was a barrister solicitor down there. And he said, um, if you get no satisfaction, you need to go to government. And that's where he went. Well, if it wasn't for Ted, these flies probably would have lain hidden. and no, They would have stayed where they were and they never would have seen the light of day. Was it 2010, 2009, 2010, then you, were, you drove up to Dublin with Ted then to actually see the flies, was it? 
Oh, um, it's a while back now. Um, it, it probably was in around that, maybe 2009, 2010. It was myself, Ted, Frankie McPhillips, and Peter Dunn. We went to Inland Fisheries when they were located in Swords. And it was uh, Dr. Kieran Byrne. He was the chief executive of Inland Fisheries at the time. And we met him and he presented us with this collection of flies and the box that we're in. And it was just spectacular to see. What was Ted like? Was he just calm or was he very excited? No, he, he, he was quite excited. You know, he'd written a lot over the years about the Rogans and their style of tying flies. And I don't think he'd really actually came face to face with Rogan's fiery brown, although he'd written so much about it. And I still have the picture here from holding Rogan's fiery brown in his hand. And he, he loved that. But I think, I think for Ted, sort of when the collection was returned, it was like closure to him because he knew at that stage that it would be preserved and conserved for the, the people of Ireland then. It was like he described it as a national treasure. Uh, yeah, like, like you said, like from a professional perspective in terms of actually having these back, but then also from a personal perspective, the fact that the, this two, three-year journey had finally come to yeah. an end, as you said. like um, It must have been incredible, especially for somebody like Ted, like, like you said, in terms of the, the Rogan's fiery brown, was that, it was almost like holding history in your hands, like, was it like? Oh, it, certainly it, it was for him. And uh, sort of it's a moment sort of that sort of live long with me. Maybe tell people a little bit about Ted uh, and, you know, who he was and what he did, just for maybe the uninitiated, maybe, and that might not... Yeah, well, as I said previously, sort of in his sort of professional capacity, he was the head of the social services for Northern Ireland up until his retirement in, I think it was 1970-something he retired, somewhere in around that. And he then, in 1984, he produced the famous Irish Trout and Salmon Flies book, and it was based on sort of notes that he recorded over the years. And he had sort of what he, he called his A to Z, which I have. I have his A to Z on which Irish Trout and Salmon Flies was based. And that sort of went into print in 1984, sold very well. And then in coming years, the early 90s, there was a paperback copy completed. So that, that was his first book. And he sort of was honorary member of a lot of the local clubs. Uh, anywhere he went, he was on honorary status. But uh, he, I used to run fly tying classes in Lisburn, and he used to come to those. And I'd known him for a long time at that. And a lot of the, the kids and all, they used to say, who's that old fella sitting in the corner? Well, what's, what does he do? And he was sitting at that stage sort of tying his daddy long legs and there's very few of them actually knew until they were leaving who he was, you know, his contribution to Irish England. And as far as they were concerned, he's the old guy that sits in the corner. It's always the way, though, isn't it? When the heroes get older, like, you know, the next generation kind of don't realise, you know. Well, he, he, was, he was a fascinating character. Um, I, I used to meet up with him quite often, um, except Thursdays. Him and his wife, Judy, always went for lunch on a Thursday. So he, if you're going to visit him, he didn't go on a Thursday. <laughs> no, he lived, um, so he died in June 2017. And he was 99 and three quarters. 
And a man of uh, incredible humor, he never lost his sense of humor uh, right up until the end. You know, I, I went in to see him about three or four days before he died. And he was sort of in and out of consciousness at that stage. And he wakened up and he grabbed the nurse by the arm and he knew I was there. And he said to the nurse, watch that fella there. He'll steal everything about the place. <laughs> and then he took a fiddle laugh and lay back down in the bed. But a, a, a true character, an absolute gentleman. And I was blessed of sort of being regarded as a friend of his and spent a lot of time with him. It must have been all, I mean, the knowledge that he had, Peter, is absolutely fantastic. I, I only ever got, I was lucky enough to meet him once. I was actually on Inchigil Island and he was with Judy. He was out for, he was out from Corriva. Oliver? Well, yeah, he was yeah, with John Oliver and met him there in Canavis um, Bay in Inchigil. And it was just a fleeting chat with them. And it, I was, it's only now since that I, I just regret that I didn't get to chat more with them because, you know, as you say, like, the depth of knowledge you'd had, I'd love to pick his brains a bit more and chat it to him more. But like we had a quick chat about the fishing that morning and I think how slow it was that day and yeah. just you know, a little bit more. But that was it. But at least at least I can say I did get to say hello to him on the lake. No, from he got to his 99th birthday. It was good fun because we was uh, quite a few of us at it. And we ended up back at the house and Ted loved his whiskey, Jameson. And everybody went back to Ted's house and there was a decanter. And I can't remember where he was at the time, but everyone decided they would pour from this decanter. And they come in and he goes, what are you drinking that stuff for? He says, that's the, the dregs of all the bottles that I pour into that. <laughs> Maybe with eight or nine whiskeys in this decanter and sort of the house blend, but he was good, he was good fun now. Where was his favourite in terms of fishing? Where was his favourite place to go? Um, Corrib. Um, Corrib and Corriva, um, the month of May, the Mayfly. Yeah. Um, that, trying to think, 90, when he was 97, I think that was the last year he was there. Yeah, I know he was, I couldn't remember whether it was 95, 96 or 97, but he got out with John Oliver. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like past his mid-90s, which is fantastic. Yeah. And, and, and Tom, just for you being obviously from the car, was had Ted like a reputation around the lake? Like you knew you knew of Ted, like, you know, from oh, yeah. fishing there. Like. John Oliver has the Malone lad out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, the Malone lad. That's Ted Malone there. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, like his reputation went before him, like, because he was just such a, such a knowledge. But also, as well, and as I said, I only got to meet him once, but chatting to everybody else. He was a very nice bloke. Whenever you talk to anybody else, oh, you have a chat with Ted because he'd be willing to talk to anybody and, uh, you know, impart his knowledge. You know, that's yeah, he, anybody you met. He, he was quite funny. He was Malone from the Malone Road and he was a member of Malone Golf Club. And <laughs> um, I, I used to go to lunch um, to the golf club with him and he would say, I, I'll drive today. And... Uh, his latter years of driving, he shouldn't have been driving. And I said him one time, you know, Ted, should you be driving? And he said, probably not, but I have a very good doctor that says otherwise. And then I think the following year, the doctor said, then maybe it's time now to sort of give up the driving. But uh, right, right up to he was 98, he was driving. And do you think the book, like finding the flies as well, would have been, was one of his proudest accomplishments as well, Peter? 
I, I think it was. Um, it, it was something sort of he had worked very hard. We, he wanted those flies to emerge. He wanted them to for the people to see them. Because, you know, a lot of the, the Rogan patterns, you know, everybody imagined what a Rogan fly looked like and everybody was tying their own representations of it. And some of them were very nice, uh, but a lot of them weren't sort of true to pattern. They weren't tied in that Rogan style. And I think for people worldwide, they can now look at these flies and go, I now know what Rogan style means, what it looks like. Was it, the only other Rogan plays I'd ever saw were in a private collection of Sir Peter Creswell in England. And he had a lot of flies collected. And I'd saw photographs of the Rogan plays that he had. And I knew when I saw the ones in the court collection that yeah, these are Rogan plays. He must have been, he must have been over the moon. Just just with because I've looked at it as much as I can. Did did Ted know the other fly tires or he heard of them? Like you mentioned the Harold guy. Yeah. Harold it, guy from Mallow that you take yeah. out of. And I immediately looked at the, the Martin Lydon from Galway. Yeah. You know, but had had you heard, well, had you, had Ted heard of these guys? The, there's a lot of them we'd known about, um, sort of Haynes, Enright, yeah. Lydon, um, Mrs. Hackett, Courtney, all the, we'd known about them. But, you know, to me, sort of Joseph Owen Harold from Mallow County Cork, um, his flies are probably the most consistent throughout the entire collection. And he, was, he hadn't been regarded or widely known as a fly tire. But uh, it was really nice. Um, you know, I've copied a few of his flies since, and they have been the most consistent. And do you know anything about the guy? Have you, you know, had, or first of all, had you heard of them before you saw the book? No. So, and it was only on subsequently looking at the book that you yeah. heard of them. Would sort of you... delve a wee bit into sort of who Joseph Owen Harold was. And he was a justice of the peace at the time, which probably had came back into, this was prior to partition. Mm. So we had been sort of working um, more or less overseeing the likes of summonses and warrants and, minor court cases and having time to tie flies. Um, you probably hear his relatives from the plantation times. Mm. So, you know, he'd, he'd been about for quite a while, I would say, or his connections. And you don't know anything about Martin Lydon from Galway, because that's something I'd plan to look into if I can. Yeah, no, there's a lot of that. I will look into it now that I've time to do these things. Um, I, I knew sort of about Mathers, um, listed in the Londonderry district and I knew of him um, but I never saw flies that he tied before and sort of different ones up this way Patton of Balamoney which saw his flies previously and sort of Daniel O'Fee as well there's there's a lot of flies in it um, that are weren't trying to get the right way of this there's flies that should have been in the collection that weren't included. And there's a lot for Bush Mills, um, William Doherty and son that weren't included. He was ill at the time. And I did quite a bit of research into him. And he was a gardener in Dunderav Estate in Bush Mills. And they had the sporting rights for the Bush Mills River. 
but that's something again, all the Dunderab records estate, when the estate was sold by the McNaughton family to Randox Laboratories, all the estate records went to the public records office in Belfast. And it was something that planned to do last year, but through COVID and everything else, that just fell by the wayside. But it's something on the radar now for the next year or so that I'll research a lot more of these people. In the run-up to this Cork exhibition in 1902, um, Inland Fisheries at the time, or was the Department of Agriculture, I think, was it at the time, basically reached out to the leading fly tires from all the different regions. Was that essentially it? And asked for examples of, so that they could... Yeah, and that they could say, here is a collection of Ireland's flies, yeah. basically. Like, So essentially what you've got is that snapshot from 120 years ago of what the influence and the thinking and the creativity around the time was from the leading fly tires, basically. Because we're looking through the collection, and I sort of tried a lot of the time, probably my fault as well, trying to get a lazy way out of it. But there was 63 sort of silver doctors, you know, a silver doctor is a silver doctor. And I was sort of referring to it as a standardized pattern. But as one of the, the bosses in Inland Fishery said, look, um, I, I know that, you know that, but we're looking at somebody that maybe doesn't have the knowledge that you have. And maybe that's the fly that they want to tie and they're looking at it and it says standard dressing. So I had to revisit all those flies again and go, yeah. And sort of with hindsight, add now that we did it, but it sort of gives that bit of completion to the dressings as well. Is it very apparent as well, and Tom, you can tell me, is it, that when you look at it, the different regions the, 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 and the flight, the style, the colours, does it stand out in terms of that you can really clearly see the differentiation? Like There, there is sort of quite a bit of difference. Um, there, a lot of them, the in around Dublin, Wexford, the flights are quite simple. Um, basic sort of fibre wings, Nothing exciting in them, quite bland, plain, nothing fancy. And then when you come around then into Limerick, where you have John Enright, and you have sort of macaw feathers, Indian crow feathers, toucan, every feather under the sun in them, and these massive big flies for the Shannon. Mm-hmm. And then you get up into Rogan's and that. But there's none of the wings were married. The first married wings I come across were for the Cold Rain District. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. No, they were the only married wings up in Korean. Wow. Tied by pattern. Oh. Yeah. Anything else that was married was accidental or coincidental. There was nothing. But that's the first ones. And they, a lot of the Korean plays, they were tied by brattles of Belfast as well. Yeah. So that, yeah, the only, thing, the only thing I noticed in looking at them, when I see the Galway flies then, there's a lot of what I would term as lock flies, really, you know, that there would have been, while there would have been salmon flies, they were more like, sort of like big Connemara blacks. And, you know, as I said, the last day, the heck and peck and things like that, you know, the claret and jay. And they're dressed more like is almost, almost in large trout sizes, as opposed to, as opposed to like, like say the limerick dressing, the limerick dressings are fantastic. Yeah. Look at them all day. But the, what, what I liked about the, the Enright patterns were the body hackles, uh, grouse, partridge, pheasant. They were all clipped underneath the scissors yeah. at, a, at a really crude, abrupt angle. 
they look like they look like a botch shop. Excuse, excuse me, if you're looking at them, they, they could you know you say that's a botch shop. Somebody's yeah. you know just caught that really badly. The, but, the top top fibers he incorporated them into the main wing. Yeah, I've said it says that on them that they're incorporated and the wing is pushed over them. And yep. then they're popped and under. Yeah, it's fa fascinating. And yeah. <laughs> but then I was saying as well, uh, as well to Shane, I was looking at there's a couple of patterns there, and they have the blue jay feather used uh, as a body hackle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like that's obviously pernicious. I've was, I was looking at them since, and obviously they've been split um, you know, with with the blade just to get rid of most most of them, yeah. most of the stalk. And, it's, and they look fantastic when you see them, when you actually see them, because I'd never actually seen a J hacker used as a body hackle before I looked at this at the digital book. Yeah. And they're, they're amazing. And, and with the trout flies to add as well at some stage. But, oh, no. Is there many there, Peter? Yeah, there's another 460 trout flies, maybe. My God. Oh, wow. Is different flight hours additional or? Same flight hires, just we at the minute sort of we've put out all the salmon flies at the minute because that's what the the real sort of pressure was on to get them out. There was a lot of people asking worldwide sort of when's the salmon flies coming out. But the some of the trout flies are spectacular. You wouldn't uh, mind if I you wouldn't mind if I had to look at them first. <laughs> <laughs> but even uh, if you even look at Enright, um, he was tying detached body mayflies back then. Yeah, and there were there were quill bodies that he was using for detached mayflies. Well, and there there is actually one of these. Oh yeah! Uh, samples. Oh wow! Yeah, here are three of them, and you know, you think sort of the detached bodies of early sort of modern, sort of 70s, 80s mm. evolution. And it's not. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, it's funny that, because um, just before I was chatting to you, I actually picked up Malone's book, and he does mention that Blacker did it with um, an Indian rubber, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did a detached with, body with an Indian rubber. Like, as you said, Peter's saying there, thinking like it's a, you know, it's a modern thing. But that brings me back, and I've said it to you before, Dara, and Again, I thought when because in Malone's book he mentions Cornelius O'Gorman, uh, Cornelius O'Gorman. Yep. I was telling Dara there, Peter, I had a pattern that worked for me on mask back about twenty years ago, and I was convinced I invented it. I was convinced, and I did really well in it. And then I got the the reprint of the O'Gorman, the practice of angling. Yeah, and in the front of that reprint, there's a plate of Cornelius O'Gorman's flies. Tied for the O'Gorman. Yeah. And the bottom in the middle is the exact. Your fly. fly. Yeah, my fly, uh, except that one was tied in 1790, right? <laughs> so I was a bit late. It was a bit late, but I was convinced. Now, basically, it was called the Dramore fly. Yeah. Uh, I used to do it, and basically, I just I was putting a yellow bot on foot, uh, which is the Dramore fly on, on a fiery brown called Claris. Yeah, and I was adding oh. the yellow bot to it. I hadn't seen it before, so therefore, if I hadn't seen it before, I obviously invented it. <laughs> not, not nothing you inflate, I am. No, no. And it's funny, sort of. I was even looking at the the Mather's patterns. We're sort of curious as to how his purples were so good, and it was down to the potato dye that wow. had, been, had been used. The the purple potato dye that sort of potatoes that weren't fit for human consumption that they fed to pigs. They used to dye them purple. 
what they what by boiling the potato or whatever they got. No, they, they just just poured this purple dye over the potatoes so that um, we wouldn't we wouldn't eat them. Yeah, I can't remember. I think it's gentian violet that was used for. Doing oh, it. I see what you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And sort of even in mother's patterns, even iron blue done with the quill body, and the peacock quill was dyed purple as well. And you know, just simple things you should have gone. You know, they, they were doing it back then. Yeah. Uh, tell me this bit is like there's been massive international interest, isn't there, in the collection? <laughs> yeah, um, I've sort of a few queries um, already from America, Australia, I know it's in China. Mm. <clears throat> And Russia as well. So when you first saw that the flies, you know, when they were discovered and you went to visit them, like that's probably what, nine, what are we talking, nine, ten years ago? Yeah, easy. It, so kind of, so it's in that time then kind of words started seeping out that the flies were here and were people yeah. kind of anxious, you know, wanting to get, uh, you know, a look at them all this time. Like, Although there was a lot of people sort of had polluted inland fisheries to get in to see them. And I know of quite a few people that actually got to see them and were facilitated and arranged sort of for um, a few people to go and see them. But there was a lot of people that um, didn't see them and they were sort of, ah, oh, these flies don't exist. Sort of, and then I think sort of with reorganization of inland fisheries, uh, then the, the project got shelved because all the work that we had carried out was 2012, 2013. Um, it was myself and Peter Don, I think over about eight days, would photograph them and had taken notes. Uh, and then at that stage, I developed a shorthand for deciphering the dressings, uh, which sort of come back to bite me badly, sort of 10 years later when you're trying to read it and you're sort of going, what, <laughs> what have you written there? What's that, you clown? And it was just, it was horrendous. And you're sort of trying to make up dressings and I knew it wasn't right. And then when Shane got involved, he sent me <clears throat> the photographs. And then I was able to sort of cross-reference sort of the dressings I'd recorded with the photographs. And then I was going, yeah, I have this right now. This is right. And it had taken sort of quite a while looking at them again. Uh, with hindsight, I think what we should have done back then was spent two days photographing everything and working from the photographs well you've done an incredible job like in terms of seeing it even digitally like it's just you know and you can tell even by the the attention and interest it's generating like it just shows you in terms of kind of how vital the work that you know obviously what ted started and then that you continued on as well um peter am i am i right in saying this thomas and peter that you know from this is purely from my reading of say the likes of Andrew Hur's books and the Blacker trilogy and all that kind of stuff. That yep. you look at the Irish fly tying influence in the kind of eighteen hundreds, which Andrew Hurd was always you know talking about, and the kind of influence that that went on to the late Victorian period. Does this kind and and you kind of get the sense from reading her that into the nineteen hundreds, then the Irish influence was kind of forgotten about. Seeing these flies now from nineteen o two, does it kind of put the Irish fly tying influence back into the picture of history again, or what do you think? Yeah, very much so. Um, a lot of the sort of the patterns at the time, you know, as I said earlier, people were sort of guesstimating what they were and what they looked like. 
And with the emergence of the Cork collection, now people are no doubt what these flies look like. And thankfully, and probably luckily for me, I've been able to handle these flies, sort of delve into them with a needle, find out sort of how they were constructed, why they were constructed, uh, why things were tied in the way they were, why things weren't tied in the way they were. And a lot of the sort of techniques that we came across, you know, I had heard it sort of muted before that maybe they did this. This is possible that, and it seemed in the, the Rogan flies that they were more three-dimensional than anybody ever believed them to be. And finally, just on this matter, like it'd be brilliant if there was a way to found to, for, for it to be found that the collection could be seen by interested anglers. Is it, do you think it'll be possible to bring it to the public or? They're so fragile, I suppose. Yeah, the difficulty with it is it's in a sort of a purpose-built box and all the flies are on individual cards on they're contained then within vellum leaves. And probably the vellum, if it was repeatedly handled, may end up damaged or sort of flies end up out of sequence as well. Uh, it would be great sort of if you had a somewhere that had been light sensitive where it could go in and everybody could look at them. But I don't think in the current format it's in, I don't think it's viewer friendly. And I think that's why they were keen to get the digital version out online. And uh, the, the photographs, um, you know, I'd spent sort of a few days with Peter Dunn doing the photographs. And for him to do them, the way he did them was actually quite good. They're probably some of the better fly photographs I've seen. Well, I was actually going to, I think I said this to you before, Tom, was like looking at them. I know some of them look a bit straggly and kind of worn. Yeah. But you would look at them still kind of go, you wouldn't think they were 120 years old. Like. No. Yeah. So, so some of the patterns were fished. Huh? Um, if, if you go, I think it's up into Galway, Tom, Scrabe. Yeah. You look at the screed patterns, yeah. Well, a lot of the screed patterns, you'll find a lot of corrosion on them uh, where they've been in sort of brackish water. <laughs> and there's about, probably about eight or ten of them. You know, you'll, you'll know them straight away. All the tinsels are grey, all tarnished. You know, they're different. Hooks are rusted. You just, you just know to look at them. <laughs> they couldn't help themselves. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, look, Peter, it's, you know, it's been a, a, an incredible journey and incredible story, you know, started with Ted's um, insistence and, you know, doggedness in terms of, you know, not letting that, that story go. And then, you know, yourself to help bring it to, to where it's at now. So, and I know Tom, especially you'd be looking forward to the next iteration now and the trout flies. Any idea maybe when that'll come out or? Oh, sort of try and push you in a wee bit on it, hopefully over the summer, because there's a lot of sort of pushing me at the minute with people going, are you going to print a book? Could, can we have a book? We, we want a book to read. So I think for Shane, there has to be a decent business case brought forward before they're going to consider a printed publication. I would love to see a printed publication. I know that was Ted's wish to see a printed publication. Was that so? Ted wanted to, Ted yeah. would have wanted a book. Yeah. yeah. And sort of when it, at first I had sort of a, a preview of the digital copy prior to going live, sort of back at the start of March. And I brought sort of the laptop down to Ted's wife and let her see the digital 
print before anyone else saw it. So, and she she was happy. But uh, no, again, Judy said to me, "I want a book." Nice so to have it in your hands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you know, well, the restructuring within Inland Fisheries, we were very fortunate that sort of Shane board with it because he had the drive and the incentive to push on with the project. And it was sort of a chance email I sent them sort of back last year as to you know, what was happening with it. And then there was an exchange of emails between ourselves. And then we got <clears throat> all the, the finer, all the glitches and that nailed and got it out. But if it hadn't been for him, it would still have been sort of lying on the shelf waiting somebody to come along and push it. Peter, it's a tribute to Shay and yourself and, and the late Ted Malone and everybody else involved in it. And um, look, we hope we'll, uh, we might talk to you again later in the year around the Trout edition yeah. when that comes well, out. That'll be, I should know, there's, did I say, 460-odd Trout flies? I'm, I'm looking forward to them. <laughs> well, you probably find flies you've tied yourself in a time. <laughs> A lot of Tom's originals, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're nice as well, but they're, they're, tell not, they're not going to present as much of a problem because you're looking at some of the salmon flies of maybe 44, 45 different ingredients in one play. Um, trout flies, what are you looking at? Four, five. So it'll, it'll be quicker. Um, Shane has cracked the format there for sort of putting it onto the, the platform. So it should be quite easy to upload it. And again, there'll be another link out on Inland Fisheries website when that's done. Can't wait. And I'm sure there's thousands of people around the world as well, likewise in the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd that's be delight, delighted to see it all complete. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I really want to see it complete. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle for Ted. Yeah, well, I, I promised him we would get it done. And we're, we're there, thereabouts with it at the minute. It's, Well done, Peter. Thanks for joining us. No, my pleasure. Thanks to Peter Keeley and Shane O'Reilly for joining us on the show this week. That was an absolutely fascinating story of a hundred-year-old fly collection that has finally been brought into the public domain. And if you do want to have a look at the core collection, just go to fishingandireland.info where you'll be able to download a digital copy of the book. And do keep an eye out for the trout flies still to come later in the year. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.